She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie, showing you how to embrace vulnerability and unearth your power within. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of She Loves Herself, the podcast. It's Friday, so of course we have another guest. Um, I actually can't believe we are on episode five of season five already. Season five, halfway through the season, the time is flying in and um, it's always great to have a guest to share with you all um, on these episodes. But before I actually go into today's guest, I just want to say thank you for all of your feedback, um, your messages since the launch of season five. The Monday love punches seem to be packing a punch and helping you have those moments of realisation of... Um, some light bulb moments are, and and that is sometimes what we need to. I guess what I'm trying to say is your your environment and what you're listening to and what you're tuning into every single day is really important. Your outer world massively reflects your inner world and vice versa. So if you are working on yourself and you're like, right, I'm doing my meditation and I'm doing all these things, but actually your outer world is not so great. And I'm going to talk about a bit more about this on the Monday Love Punch. It's really important that you do start listening to things that raise your vibration, that sometimes give you that kick up the butt that you that you maybe need because we can easily get stuck, right? You know, when we're we're having a maybe a, a, a bad day, a challenging day, it turns into the day two, day three, day four. Listen, I've been there myself and it is so difficult sometimes to pull yourself out of that mood of that low vibration energy but starting your day listening to something positive or listening to someone that gives you that energy that allows you to think bigger to see the bigger picture to help empower you to take control back of your life, of the situation that you're in. And this is the feedback that I've been getting about the Monday Love Punches and they're short episodes, guys. So I'm so pleased that you are enjoying these. And because they're so short, they're easy to listen to as well. Um, Share them, keep sharing. So if there is anyone that you think that may need to hear this, which is a lot of people right now, Share it across your social medias. Share it with your friends. Um, it might just be the best thing that you do for that person because one 10-minute conversation or something that you listen to can massively change and transform the trajectory of your day and therefore your week, your month, your life. It all starts with that one thing that we maybe heard or seen, right? So I'm going to talk more about inner world and outer world on Monday's episode. So you do want to tune into that. Um, and um, I also have one space left for the Empowered Women. This is my 10-week signature program. I only take six people through it. It is 10 weeks of coaching with me. You'll be coached for 10 weeks. You will work your, your way through 10 lessons that are super bespoke, um, they are all of my methods, everything that I've trained in, coached in, learned in, taught in, um, packed into a 10-week program. Um, this is transformational. And so if you do want to listen to women that have experienced this program, the episode that I aired just a couple of Fridays ago called the Empowered Women episode, go back and listen to that. 
Um, and it just gives you an idea of how epic this program is. I mean, I can tell you how epic it is, but it's great to listen to six women that have already been through it and their own individual unique experience with the program. So if you are looking for something, if you're sitting in a space of, oh God, you know, I know that I need to do more. I just don't know what. Have a listen to that episode. If you want to reach out to me, get in touch as soon as possible because it starts on the 19th of May. I'm away on Tuesday next week and I'm not back till the following Tuesday. And then we start on the Thursday. So get in touch. Don't sit on the fence. Take the action. Take full responsibility for where you're at. And I promise you, if you go all in with a program like this and work with me, you will come out completely different. It just, it, it just, that's what will happen. Um, so if you're looking for deep transformation and epic change, this is the program. Um, so get in touch. Uh, you can message me on Instagram or you can email me hello at jill-ritchie.com. Um, so anyway, let's get into today's episode. I am joined by a really cool guy. As soon as I started talking to him, I thought, oh my God, this guy is like Eckhart Tolle. (laughs) I've actually speaking to someone who is so incredible on another level to probably anyone that I've had the pleasure of interviewing on the podcast. Now that's not saying that anyone I've interviewed is an epic. Everyone I interview on the podcast is epic. This guy here is so, you'll listen and you'll know what I mean, so different. Wow, this incredible energy. He just thinks really differently and get, you know, got me thinking differently about things. We recorded this episode like six, seven weeks ago. And as I was listening to it back, I'm like, oh my God, this guy is incredible. Let me introduce you to... Steve James. Steve James is a relationship and intimacy coach. He's a somatic practitioner and a global celebrity coach. Steve James, he also works very, very closely with Michaela Boehm. So if any of you have watched um, or, or read or anything by Gwyneth Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow has Goop. Um, Will Smith um, documented about um, Michaela Boehm. She's been on Red Table Talk. Um, she is an intimacy coach as well. And she's worked with a number of celebrities. She's wonderful. And he works alongside her. Their dynamics are really, really amazing together. He has worked and still continues to work with CEOs, and multi-billion dollar fund managers. He has clients include Oscar winning actors, multi-Grammy winning musicians, to name but a few. And in this episode, we talk about relationships, relationship dynamics, ways to bring back the spark into your relationship. We discuss go and flow versus masculine and feminine and he has some really interesting points of view on this um connecting to your body coaching trends and so much more this is a different episode 
And uh, yeah, it's magic. And even as I'm saying these words, I feel like things that he said to me has really landed for me, even in just seven weeks. So I hope you enjoy this episode. As always, please share, give it a review, continue to support me um, and the community and have an absolutely beautiful weekend, guys. Take care. She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie. Welcome to She Loves Herself, Steve James. Oh, thank you, Jill. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you, Steve. Um, so Steve and I, this is the first time that we have properly connected. I reached out to him um, because I've been following some of his work and I just felt such a pull to invite him onto the podcast Um and for the listeners, we know that we have sort of taken season four and moving into season five and in the direction of love, connection, um, somatic work and the real deep healing transformational work um, that I have been doing for the last four years. And Steve, without me sort of stealing your thunder, you, I consider you an expert in this field. So for the listeners, please introduce yourself and tell them who you are and what it is that you actually do and what you specialize in. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Jill. That's very kind of you. And yeah, it was a, a great honor to be asked to uh, appear on your podcast. Um, you, you were telling me just before we, um, before we started recording uh, these amazing four seasons you've had with mm. all different sorts of people opening up and uh, telling their, you know, innermost, innermost uh, secrets and journeys and uh, challenges they've overcome and so on. Amazing, actually. So it's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, well, what do I do? Well, um, when people ask me that question at a party or so, I usually say, uh, consultant. <laughs> and then... They've, then hopefully the ideal scenario is a kind of glazing over and a staring into the middle distance and then I can escape the question. Because, well, I mean, it's true though. Mm. I do work in, you're, you're right, in the field of uh, relationships, of uh, counselling in that, in that regard. Also in, in, the, in, the, form of, in the field of movement, uh, meditation, uh, where all these sorts of things intersect. Mm -hmm. um, I have a podcast myself, Guru Viking Podcast, interviewing various different uh, figures, mostly in the contemplative sphere, mm -hmm. uh, academics, scholars, and general contemplatives, uh, teachers, etc. Mm -hmm. And as we were discussing before at some length, uh, my uh, teaching partner is Michaela Bohm. And Michaela mm -hmm. Bohm is a relationship counsellor, among other things, from Austria, based in California. And uh, yeah, she's, uh, we, were, we were saying she's a world-renowned um, intimacy counsellor, relationship counsellor, 30,000 plus client hours. I was trying to sell, I was, <laughs> well, I wasn't trying to sell her, she, I was, you knew who she was already. I was saying, you should, I can't believe you haven't reached out to Michaela yet. She'd be perfect for this season. Yeah. And yeah, so, you know, and we, we travel, you know, pre-March 2020, now a bit more online, although we're, we're opening things up again. We travel all around the world together, teaching um, uh, programs of various kinds on yes, intimacy, relationship, mm -hmm. communication, etc. Also embodiment, reconnecting to the mm -hmm. body. These things end up being rather linked, as you were hinting mm -hmm. already. Um, a lot of relationship problems are at least exacerbated by disconnectedness from the body. So th mm -hmm. these are some of the ways that these things can work together. Yeah, so we do uh, all these sorts of things. So it's, I think, a good season five 
match. Yeah. Oh, I do too. Like, okay, Michaela, get yourself on this podcast. Um, I should have got you both on together. That would have just been epic, actually. Um, what a combination. Um, so you talk there about, um, you know, I love that you said I'm, I'm a consultant. Actually, mm-hmm. it's funny when people ask me what I do, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm kind of like a coach, but I also really focus on somatic healing and I do a bit of this and it's it's not linear. Actually, that leads me on to beautifully seamless link, non-linear, it's non-linear. And talking about non-linear, you guys also, I know that you talk a lot and you um, have a program, it's the non-linear movement. Can you just tell the audience a little bit about non-linear movement? Sure. Yeah, it's it's a movement method, actually, that Michaela originated. And then later on, we worked together uh, to um, refine and uh, codify it. Mm. Uh, but I would say, really, it's it's Michaela's um, creation. Yeah. And uh, in that regard, from in, in terms of the creation stage, how it began biographically in Austria, Michaela uh, learned this kind of um, mm-hmm. intuitive movement, you could say, su- mm-hmm. subtle movement uh, to d- work with inner tension from her um, Kashmiri Shaivistic uh, teacher at the time. She had a, a teacher of um, sort of a tantric uh, style, not tantric in terms of the sting kind, mm-hmm. but more in kinds of an embodied uh, yogic um, exploration. Let's put it mm-hmm. that way. She had it anyway, a teacher there, a lady teacher. And taught her this uh, what they call central channel um, movement. Anyway, th- that's the point. It's sort of a yogic grounding. And then later on, so she would she was working with that. And then later on, when she was in the States, Michaela founded a. This is going to be the, the about Michaela show, but never mind. Um, Michaela, <laughs> Michaela founded. A, that's fine. Michaela founded um, co-founded a a rehab, a dual diagnosis rehab. Uh, in Los Angeles, dual diagnosis meaning, well, on the one hand, there's the addiction, but on the other hand, uh, in this case, a cluster B or what they call access to personality disorders, right? You know, mm. like um, like your antisocial personality disorder or your BPD or et cetera, et cetera. So these were the sort of um, uh, patients that were there. And uh, there, as you, as you point out, uh, the body is so important when it comes to healing and trauma, etc. And what happens to somebody when they start to uh, come off their substance uh, of choice, let's put it that way, what's mm-hmm. going to happen? Well, why do people become addicts? Why do people um, use substances to an, such an extreme degree? There are many, many reasons. But one of the reasons is, is because they're in pain. It hurts to be them. Yeah. They have a lot of trauma mm-hmm. and they have a lot of inner pain. And so, na- and so they use the substances. I think we all we all know that, um, some, and sometimes to an extreme degree, especially if the trauma is rather extreme, it can it can become a sort of very unhealthy dynamic. And we, you know that's addiction. And so, uh, when that uh, when the uh, substance is no longer being used, then mm. sure enough, what's going to happen? Well, all that pain um, is going to gradually, or suddenly, or maybe a mixture of both, they'll start to feel that. And uh, and so a lot of what goes on in these sorts of centers is a healing of not just detoxing from the substance itself, but it's a healing of the pain underneath that's driving driving that uh, person to um, that destructive, addictive behavior. So in that context, uh, Michaela would began to use and uh, em- employ this nonlinear movement method to uh, 
help them uh, reconnect with their body and move through the uh, the pain of yeah. the trauma, which is often stored in the body in various different ways. So. What does it what does it look like? So anyway, that that's when it was. I think you could say to the crucible of mm-hmm. that time, and then over the over the decades since then, um, it's been developed further. We've developed it together, and Michaela's also developed it uh, herself, of course, uh, for all sorts of other applications. Things like just simply connecting to the body, releasing stress. Yes, releasing uh, trauma can be used in the in a trauma release context, or connecting with the body in terms of pleasure, reconnecting with the subtle pleasure in the body. A lot of people, due to stress, um, various other factors, uh, lose touch with the sensuality of the body. It's hard mm. to feel anything, actually. It's hard to feel pleasure. It's hard to, you know, the libido goes and so on. So there are ways of using that method to, to uh, begin to reconnect to that. And, mm. and some various other methods, uh, some various other uses as well. But wh- how it looks is you get on hands and knees on a yoga mat or uh, rug or whatever. And the nonlinear part is that... Uh, the movement is not prescribed. So unlike a yoga class, for example, or a Pilates class, where you're told to make various different shapes and etc. Or mm. you're in a gym, of course, you're doing certain pre- pre-designed exercises, which is, you know, right for that context. In nonlinear, you're not told how to move. Yeah. And you're not told what to feel. So the mm. first thing you'll usually do in nonlinear is a practice we call moving what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And so you get down your hands and knees. You ha- there's some music generally. Uh, some uh, yeah, some kind of music, and then you feel what, whatever you can feel. Maybe yeah. emotion. Maybe it's tired. You feel tired, and you allow the body to begin to move, um, uh-huh. to in a certain sense express that. Um, maybe you feel numbness, then you move as numbness. Maybe you feel fatigue, you move as fatigue. Maybe you feel happy, you feel you move as happiness. And maybe yeah. you what you're feeling is just a feeling of some kind. You just move like that. But it's not interpretive dance. Mm-hmm. So if you're angry, you don't. Um, squeeze your fists and, you know, make an angry face. I mean, you might, but that mm-hmm. it's not, you don't have to make the movements look like the feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not required. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not interpretive or expressive to the outside. It's more a case of allowing the feelings in that case to, um, in a certain sense, have a bodily expression. Yeah. So that's, I love that's that. a quick and dirty definition. Oh, I love it. Quick and dirty. <laughs> I love that because and, and even as you were speaking, I could feel myself dropping into my body. And this is, I've done this, you know, different levels of work um, around movement and, and dance. And I remember the first time Steve tried it and I was like, I'm a, what am I supposed to do? I very much was in my head. Oh, I'm like, us to move to the rhythm, <laughs> you know? But actually when I really got into my body, it's like sometimes there's like a jaggy movement or a shuddery movement. And right. this is all about really bringing yourself out of your head and into the body, right? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, that's, a, that's I think, exactly right. That connection mm. with the body. Yeah. Mm. There's connection and the fluency. Uh, moving from that go mode of being in the head, go, 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 mm-hmm. focus, um, get things done, uh, which is an important capacity to have, but being able, but many of us get stuck there because yeah. we, we are, it's so demanding life often that we need to, we need that faculty. And we have difficulty then getting into what you could call the flow mode, mm-hmm. which is just a way of saying connected to the body, relaxed, you know, feeling the body, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. Just, it's, it's, some people can't find it so hard to even even relax. You're, you're sitting down at the end of the day, and the mind's still going. And mm-hmm. You can't just, you just can't drop. 
<clears throat> yeah. Or, you know, it, it's funny to describe it and to try to put words on it, but often people feel that. And couples are the same. They come back together and you want to be intimate. There may be even good feeling there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by intimate, I mean any any whole range of things. It doesn't necessarily mean just sex, but the whole kind yeah. of in that general direction. But the body is just not available for it. It's yeah. just the, body, the body is still you know, in go mode. So how to get from go mode to flow mode, the fluency to be able to move between them both. You need them both, not just flow, otherwise we become like jellyfish, mm-hmm. not just go, otherwise we, we, lose, we lose contact with the body and he's more, if you want, sensual or um, more kind of rest, recuperating, uh, intimacy, etc. How can mm. we move between them? So nonlinear is one of those sorts of methods. There, there are many. Dancing is one, like you said. Yeah, yeah. actually, even things like singing, believe it or not. Yeah, definitely. Because even smiling. Do you know even if you, right. um, you know, you smile, you know, you actually can, you know, initially you're like, I'm smiling. But it alters your state, you know, after you do. You sometimes can often then start giggling. Oh, you're like, oh, what am I laughing at? Or you can try, and I, I remember um, laughing, like trying to like fake a laugh, but just to see what would happen. And within like 30 seconds, I was roaring and genuinely laughing like at what I was doing. I don't know what, my state just changed. And I think it's, you know, it's that intention to get into that flow mode. Do you believe and I probably know your answer to this. Do you believe we can ever be in flow mode when we're living in our head then, Steve? Well, it depends, I think, how we define it. If we if we think of it as a sort of a spectrum mm-hmm. um, that maybe it exists on a continuum, at the go end of the continuum, it's the focused, it's the you know single-pointed attention when you're in the zone on, say, a cognitive task, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a work-based cognitive task. You're not feeling your body necessarily if you're, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing that, and that's correct in a certain sense. Your resources are gathered and directed into that task, and that's appropriate. And then maybe yeah. the other end of that spectrum, and so there's some in between, right? But the other end of the spectrum, the flow, uh, more connected with the body, the awareness, or is more maybe diffused or broader, not so single-pointed, um, more as we say, you know, non-linear, maybe to mm-hmm. use the word slightly differently. Yeah, uh, and and then more available f- uh, for you know th- those sorts of um, those sorts of uh, activities. And so, is it possible to have both going at the same time? Um, probably not in the extreme cases. Is there a possibility of some middle ground where you have a little bit of flow and a little bit of go moving? Yeah, sure. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's not about an optimal place to live forever. It's a, I think about being able to tr- fluidly traverse yeah. that spectrum so when you need to be go you can be go when you need to be flow you you know how to de-escalate into that flow and for mm. most of us that's the direction that we have to consciously do if you're always doing go 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 you habituate to that yeah. you get good at it and you get you know the groove is is deep so then or often we need to act, in a certain sense deliberately relax mm. Uh, you know, employ some sort of method or ritual or routine. Can, some people, it's going for a walk, you know, coming home, going for a walk, uh, many things like that. People have different ideas or routines that work for them. But many of us need to more consciously de-escalate into flow. Mm. Not many of us are in flow and then we no. need to... <laughs> we need to be in, as intentional. And I think, especially now, I 
I always felt for me and the go, go, go was the, the right way, you know, before I started doing this work, I, huh, I deeply within me, I knew it wasn't right. It never felt fully in alignment, but I didn't know another way. And it was a very masculine way. And I do have, you know, I've got masculine energy it's definitely my go-to, Steve. It's the it's the habitual, you know, you mentioned the habitual um pattern. It's the safe, it's the safe feeling, even though nothing really great comes from it. That you know, I can get things done. Um, but it's almost that for me, it was that protective safety of being in the go. Really, when I was in the flow, I I felt quite disconnected to my body and when I actually got deeper and deeper into it I realized that there was such a fear of vulnerability and I mean vulnerability on the deepest level like really being so vulnerable and I you know went back and I understood where that came from but I didn't know where it came from do you feel that you know I'd love to hear your you know your your thoughts on this is that particularly is that a common thing for people to feel much more safer in the masculine and in the go versus the flow state because I guess when we're in the flow state a lot can come up emotionally right yeah I think that's very interesting I wouldn't uh necessarily I know what you mean by the word masculine I I rather say things like go and flow personally yeah because it's it has it's a little less um laden with uh potential misinterpretation and 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 so on different different mm. interpretations i suppose but i if you're using it in that technical sense i do understand what you mean uh yes there are many different reasons why well let's put it this way sometimes we're stuck in the go mode in the head in the doing doing because it's habit uh or because it's the demand of life one has to work hard at work uh, there's difficult challenges. There's a lot of things that one has to get done. There's not a lot of space to relax, actually. There's not a lot mm -hmm. of time to feel. But some people, many people actually, live lives of great pressure. So, mm -hmm. so we could say there's sort of environmental reasons as well. So habit, environmental reasons. Some people just don't know um, that, it's there, that it's good to relax. If you want to really be a go person, you have to be able to spend some time relaxed and in flow. And by flow here, I just mean the de-escalated, de you know, mm. connected to the body, resting, recuperating, and so on. Um, because if you want to be a really good go person, you have to replenish, actually. For sure. Um, so if you want to be a real type A, you have to type A your type A eventually. Mm. But, uh, but also, as you're pointing to, yeah, there can be deeper uh, le levels, um, levels of one's belief about oneself, or childhood imprints, uh, you're only worth something if you achieve this mm -hmm. sort of is a, is a classic example. Um, if you feel if you relax, bad things will happen, and so on. There are many imprints that can occur early in life, or indeed at any point in life, um, that can make relaxing difficult. Some people, <laughs> for instance, with complex um, PTSD, uh, for example, hypervigilance, yeah. stuck in that hypervigilant state as a, as a consequence of, of a traumatic um, event or a traumatic series of events or a traumatic context. So it's not as, so, as easy for them to say, well, just apply a simple technique and you'll relax. Well, as I think we've pointed out before, 
Not, I mean, for many people, yes, but for for many others, there's also some psychological things, yeah. some emotional things. But certainly, there's no informed consent on intimacy, intimacy with the body, which just means feeling the body and the emotions, or intimacy with another person. You don't know what you're going to feel. So if you start to relax and you start to feel your body, you're going to feel what's there to be felt. And maybe for some people, it's a reservoir of connectedness and uh, nice peace. My internet's unstable, it's peace and so on. But for others, fatigue. You're going to feel the stress Mm -hmm. underneath that tension. You have to be able to navigate through that. Or you're going to feel anxiety. Some people will feel that, right? Or fear. Or indeed, in in some cases, many cases, traumas, etc. So that's why... uh, in the case of the nonlinear movement method, which Michaela does teach regularly, those actually classes online these days on Zoom are doing it a lot more, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly what she encountered in the rehab. Yeah. Because people start to de escalate from their substance use and they start to relax and they're in this situation. And what's going to come up? Well, whatever's inside is going to yeah. come up. Yeah. Whatever's so, been suppressed. Good or bad, you know, whatever's or, there, yeah. you're going to feel it. So eventually, maybe all at once or gradually. With nonlinear, we work in a way that it's gradual. We don't thrust people through the liminal barrier between their where they're coping into the deep depths of what they're feeling. We mm. go gradually. There's a kind of bo- the wisdom of the body guides the timing of the process. So it's coming off in layers yeah. rather than there are some methods, of course, and approaches that will thrust a person into the um, into that pool of mm. poison and pain it's dramatic it's uh, exciting it's cathartic in a way but it can do more damage than good it can re-traumatize you know in a sense the person so yeah these are, these are all things to to consider to consider for sure and i guess what a couple of things i wanted to pick up on that you said um the first thing i really loved and i, I want to you know talk to you about this is the go and flow versus the masculine and feminine because we hear a lot about the masculine and the feminine and um I love that you said that that that's not a term you tend to use oh I I really pricked up about that I'm like oh and I I get this right so I'd love to hear more about what is it that what yeah, what's the reasoning behind that not using the masculine and the feminine terms versus the go in the flow? Well, like I said, I think, you know, I, if you're using it in a very technical sense, which I assumed you were, and, and mm-hmm. it seems you weren't, then I understand what you mean by that term. The reason I don't tend to use it is because um, it's like a lot of technical terms um, to the un- untrained ear, if you like. Um, if we don't define the term very precisely, it has a lot of connotations. Mm-hmm. Some words in a technical field, some science or engineering or so on, mean something very specific. But in maybe colloquial language, they use very, uh, very differently. Sometimes really differently. Energy, for example, momentum, force. These are all very technical things. But we we use them in colloquial language, um, non-technical language, mm-hmm. for, for many different things. And masculine and feminine, of course, are loaded with. Um, connotations so loaded that um, that um, it's difficult to get past that, I think. So what do I mean? Well, of course, masculine and feminine, if we look at the dictionary definition, masculine 
is traits typically associated with men. We'll find something like that in the dictionary. Or feminine might be traits or behaviors typically associated with women. So now already we have the division. an issue here. Well, there is a division in in the definitions. That's that's true. But already we have a, an issue here, which is typical. <laughs> <laughs> we know, like, you know, that yeah. he thinks it's not like one, two boxes, right? But anyway, so it's somewhat culturally dependent. And or maybe there's also some other, other layers, deeper layers here. But anyway, this... Uh, this uh, binary has been used as an archetypal binary in many cultures. Many cultures have divided, have taken this polarity or binary of masculine and feminine, which we commonly find uh, around us in animals and people and so on. Um, many people have taken that to apply in culture. I'm not saying what I advocate here. I'm just saying the ter- way in which the terms have been used um, historically. So, for instance, um, uh, in certain cultures, the, the sun... Uh, is sort of the masculine, right? And the moon is the feminine for various reasons. And uh, why is that? Well, there's various reasons why they say that is. But in another culture, for instance, in the Tibetan um, symbolism or Tibetan way of thinking, the sun is is actually associated with the feminine aspect, and the, uh, because of the ovum, and the moon is associated with the masculine aspect because of the semen and so on. And there are there are. Uh, re- reasons why that may be different f- from, say, an Indic context in which typically it's the other way around. But anyway, we also see uh, things like Shiva and Shakti. Yes. This erotic pairing is sometimes used metaphorically. We externalize that and say, well, these external forces, we, we, we sort of not gender them precisely, but we use the metaphor of this dyad or this um, binary that we sometimes see. And like I said before, this binary thing is not really, it's a binary of category, but it's not really a binary that's totally accurate because it's not just masculine or feminine. We all have both and many people, um, you know, sit differently in that constellation. So I'm not advocating some sort of, you know, binary view here. I'm just saying that metaphorically, categorically, this is sometimes how it's been applied. Or even we have someone like Jung who talks about the anima and the animus, and that part of the work with Jung is to reconcile oneself to one's inner contrasexual nature, one's mm. inner anima, one's inner animus. Yeah. So these themes, I think, are prevalent. So sometimes masculine and feminine is used, um, I think, as a kind of archetypal polarity metaphor. Yeah. The problem comes when we apply that back to prescribed behavior of human beings. So we say something like, well, isn't the sun like masculine because of X, Y, Z? Or isn't the moon like feminine because of X, Y, Z? Well, therefore, women should be like the moon. Uh, Hang on a second. Or isn't it the case that masculine is, we could say, go, go, go. Isn't that like masculine, isn't it? Well, I guess you could say that. And isn't it more like flows, more like, you know, feminine? Yeah, you could say that. I mean, there's some utility in using that kind of a, I can understand why someone would do that. But then it says, well, that means that men should be go and women should be flow. And if the woman is flowing, she's wrong. She should stop flowing. She should stop going and get back into flow (laughs) and make me a sandwich or something like that. There can be, it can be, end up being very prescriptive, restrictive, lifestyle, behavioral um, prescriptions, that's clumsy. It's clumsy mm. and not very thoughtful and, uh, and not, it's a bit ideological. 
It's yeah. Just like, you know, this is how mm-hmm. things should be, or this is how things. It's so simple, though, which is part of its appeal. Oh, I see what I've been doing wrong. I've been doing this masculine behavior as a woman, and now I need to do this feminine behavior. Or I think it's it's rather clumsy and uh, low resolution way of going about things, but it's appealing because it's simple. Um, so yeah. I think in, in the coaching world, as you're pointing out, uh, these terms are used a lot, very, very clumsy, I think. They can reinforce a kind of heteronormative, um, but very, also very restrictive mm. uh, uh, approach. I don't think it's the way to go. Layering a further ideology on top of yourself, a further set of what to do's and to, to not do's on top of yourself seems to be the wrong direction. Better direction perhaps is to uh, connect actually, learn to navigate one's own inner landscape, learn how to do that. And yes, learn certain structures, behaviors, patterns to apply in one's life and in one's relationships. Do we need to, do we need to make them so identity based? Do we need to make them so uh, this is the thing you see. So these are some of the reasons why I I think it's not so smart to yeah. use those terms unless we absolutely have to. I love this actually. And do you know what else? It is a bit of a, did I see it? It's a bit of a trend as well. I see a lot, you know, this is the masculine, this is the feminine, and this is, you know, there's a big sort of trend around it as well, you know. Um, and so it's funny because I, I do work with men and women. And I love working with both. And the when uh, there is a sometimes a fear when you say the feminine or uh, to and this is just again I, I'm not saying everyone's like this, but typically if I'm working with them with um, a male client and I talk about the feminine, you, you can see the resistance to go into it because it's like. Oh, rather than I love that you said rather than in getting in there and connecting to the self and the go in the flow rather than labeling it almost. You know, I, I really love that. I think it's so important to for us to individually tune into our own bodies rather than again take on another label or take on, oh, I should be more feminine, I should be more masculine, and I'm not getting it right. It's another external thing when we're being outward focused on something external to fix us rather than coming inward to the self. Yeah, Mm. essentially, uh, yes, you're right. And this idea of this gender identity, as we know, is not really, it doesn't really help to essentialize these things to a Mm. set of behaviors and so on, because real people are not, uh, cannot be boiled down to this sort of uh, dualistic um, binary. We know that there are all sorts of people who identify in all sorts of ways, and you don't even have to identify. You just, just the way you are doesn't yeah. even have to be placed anywhere. You don't have to place yourself anywhere to justify yourself. You just who, who you are. So, you know, I, like I said, I gave a several different ways in which masculine and feminine has been used historically and is still going on. And I think there are reasons for that. And I understand why those have been the case. And it's you know, legitimate in those contexts, I think. And uh, but you're asking why don't I bother using it in the case of go and flow? Well, because it's not necessary. You know, it's not necessary. Oh, I'm in go. I'm in go mode. I'm getting things done. I'm kicking ass. I'm taking names, uh, etc. And no, now I'm relaxing. I'm restoring. You know, I'm, my blood pressure is dropping. <laughs> 
I'm connecting mm-hmm. with my partner or with my family and so on. Does that need to be gendered exactly? I don't know if it does. I don't know if it does. Now, in a relationship context where you have two partners in a relationship who uh, create a difference between themselves in order, this is one of the secrets, by the way, of, of igniting the spark or maintaining the spark beyond the initial honeymoon phase, is that one has to sort of, in a certain sense, sometimes create some difference. One has to take the lead, let's say, uh, we're going to go here, or we're going to do this. One has to initiate, mm. um, take the other somewhere. It doesn't always have to be the same one. It can be switching. These sorts of dynamics of leading and following, um, etc., are um, really useful dynamics to experiment in when we try to reignite uh, libido and reignite mm-hmm. attraction in a, in a couple. But once again, do they really need to be gentle? Well, not really. Sometimes it's fun to switch these around. Does it always have to be one partner who does that role? Because we call it that label, which implies some sort of gender. Well, maybe there's a tendency, a preference within the couple to do it a different way. Maybe no matter what their preference, sometimes it's refreshing to do it the opposite way, etc., etc. So we can move in different sorts of dynamics. Mm. You know, I mean, if you want to call it masculine and feminine, of course you can, in your own private language. But why don't I do it? It's because of it, it just these words are so uh, laden with yeah. other connotations that I feel it's um, it's just inefficient and a bit a bit clumsy, and it leads, as you point out, to very poorly thought through trends. Um, these trends yeah. come and go. This masculine feminine trend has is I hear it. I've, you're not the first person to tell me it's a trend now. It was also a trend like ten years ago. It was also a trend by fifteen years ago. <laughs> so these mm. trends come and go. <laughs> They come and go. Yeah. yeah. And I guess for a lot of people, they just, like you said um, earlier on, it's easy to go, ah, oh, that's that and that's that. So, uh, you know, the, the mind can go, all oh, right, I know what masculine is, I know what feminine is. I can kind of follow that kind of guide rather than, again, coming back, what does this mean for me? What does this really feel for me in my body versus what I should be doing? Another label, like you said, another, you know, laden with, you know. So um, I'd love to touch on, and um, you've talked a couple of times there, just touching on intimacy and dynamics in a relationship. Um, working with, you know, couples and, and, and people in relationships, I, I for sure know that there is, people that I speak to, people that I've started really connecting with over the past 12 months, there is struggle, struggles, can't even say my words, struggles, there's a new word, struggles and struggles in one word. Um, <laughs> there, there is struggles with dynamics and connection and relationships. So I'd love to hear how a couple, for example, that have maybe been together for a long time, and they feel quite disconnected from each other, but they don't know how to get that spark. You mentioned the honeymoon phase, mm-hmm. always like the honeymoon phase. People will say, you know, it's not like it was in the beginning. It's gone. There's no spark anymore. You know, there's couples that actually do like each other, mm. but there's no intimate sexual yeah. spark there. How can one get that back, Steve? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the $64 million question. (laughs) Come on then, Steve, (laughs) tell us all the answer. (laughs) Well, actually, it's a big part of uh, the work that Michaela and I do is in that area. 
And, uh, you know, there are lots of reasons why that erotic spark or any kind of erotic activity at all might have flatlined. There are lots of reasons. You know? And on the one hand, sometimes it's just habit. Habit. So this is maybe the least uh, difficult to fix. Or maybe not. Habits can be strong. But habits. Habits like not creating time to connect with each other. It, well, it, why do we have to create? It feels so artificial and so on. Yeah, it is kind of artificial, but one has to schedule it in. One has to schedule in the time to go to the gym. One has to schedule in the time to go to the work and so on and so forth. So what you do in that time does not have to be artificial and contrived, but sometimes creating a space, it's a strange thing to do. You need structure in order to have an unstructured time. You have to structure that unstructured time in your mm -hmm. schedule at the very least. So sometimes something like that, um, it's just, oh, we, you know, when do we actually have a chance to connect that that's, we've set aside to do specifically that? Well, maybe not. Uh, often at all. So there's some people who just forget <laughs> to do that. Yeah. But, you know, because work, work life is very busy. And so that's understandable. So often the work um, with a couple, for example, will be to look at ways that that can be created. Okay, but I think people know about that kind of thing. But then there are some other bad habits that can occur. For instance, when you are together and having spending time together, to have a good partition of logistical. So now bear in mind, we're starting at the, if you want, lighter end here, we'll get deeper. But um, to separate logistical conversations, such as, oh, now I've got you here. Now, now we're together. We have to, uh, I need to talk to you about the gas thing or now yeah. we're together, you pick up the yeah. thing. Or, I've been looking at this and our account here, we need to change account. You know, this sorts of, oh, what about the car? And you want to catch up on all these logistical things. And so there, one has to very often protect that time of connection so that It'll come to your mind because you're relaxing and then you'll think of the thing <laughs> that you, oh, I've got to tell you this thing, or uh, we've got to remember to do that. But bringing that in to that sort of time of connection is uh, unhelpful. So on, you know, whether it's date night or date, you know, date three hours in the evening or whatever it is that you have once a week, whatever you can manage, uh, protecting that from logistical conversations. And sometimes that means setting aside a different time to have specifically logistical conversation or saying, okay, let's talk about logistics and get that out of the way. Okay, now we're not going to talk about logistics. Now let's do this connection mm. stuff, right? Whatever that might be. So it's habits. Sometimes it's doing things like creating time to connect. Sometimes it's stopping to do things like bringing all these logistics in. And I could give you a dozen more examples of things to do and not to do on that mm. level of, on that level. But anyway, that would take a long time. Um, and then it's sometimes one has to learn a few skills. One has to learn a few skills. Um, ways to invite or induce or set up that connection that don't carry with them an implication of obligation. Mm. Now it's time to connect. Oh my God, I don't feel like it. Well, of course yeah, you don't yeah. feel like it because you've just come from all the other things. So we have to transition into that. There are ways to do that. I don't want to relax. I don't want to go there because if I go there an inch, then maybe more will be expected of me. Uh -huh. This is obligation. 
oh, if, I, if we relax together, then my partner is going to want to have sex with me, yeah. maybe. And I'm not sure if I'm up to that. I don't really feel that. I'm not sure. I can't guarantee I'm going to feel that. So I don't even want to go in that direction a little bit. Ob obligations. So once again, some sort of understanding of, of how to navigate that, how to nurture that connectedness will not always result in, and doesn't need to always result in, say, having sex. But mm -hmm. over time, as we get e better and better at entering that space without obligation, but with some kind of some kind of ways to stimulate uh, connection, rubbing each other's feet, you know, is something, something very simple, mm -hmm. as far away from the other person as you can be. But, but, but there are many ways, in other words, to walk someone towards that. You begin to build a kind of a, a reservoir of connectedness and relaxation. You know, a lack of obligation is important um, for the relaxation. And then from that place, that's the kind of a context where erotic mm -hmm. feeling can more readily arise. And then some other skills like, well, how to initiate erotic uh, play or contact uh, in a way that's skillful. You don't need that in the honeymoon phase because you don't, you need a team of horses to keep yourselves apart. <laughs> so, then, so how do you do that? And how do we understand what, how do we uh, are respectful to the other ones need to deescalate and you know where they are and so on. So this is all, by, by the way, best case scenario, two people who just want to connect and have lost the spark and it's, there's nothing else in the way of them doing that. Okay, that's why I said it's the lighter end. But then, of course, what are we going to encounter um, in, in many couples? Well, maybe resentments, communication problems, <clears throat> difficulties of that kind. So we could say relational dynamic problems. So this is now the realm of counseling, communication, uh, clearing those things out of the way, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, this is the work of couples counseling, good couples counseling, you know, which is yeah. vanishingly rare. And then maybe even what we discover Deeper than that is, once again, here we come back to it, traumas. Mm. Oh, when I was a child, this stuff happened to me, or this was my home context growing up. And then the, our home context imprints certain things on us, are kind of what, are, what, we are, what we feel is love and how we feel things should be. It can be quite deep in the nervous system. And then we carry these things with us. Or in relationships, prior relationships or prior experiences, we have had... Uh, traumas or difficulties happen to us, and it's not say current to the relationship that we're working with, but it's it's taken in with as well. Yeah. So sometimes then certain trauma uh, resolution or trauma work, trauma healing uh, needs to be done mm. uh, in that case as well. So now we're getting deeper and deeper, right? Yeah. So there are many reasons why uh, intimacy in a couple might be reduced, etc. Often it's not for want of trying. Sometimes it's a, we need to do some things we're not doing, or we need to stop doing some bad habits we've gotten into, mm. or maybe we need to work out some of the relational issues as well, or maybe there's actually some more traumas or uh, things or emotional pain that's being carried in that, that needs to be resolved. Maybe that's an individual thing, or maybe that can be done in a couple context, depends. Mm. So I think this is a whole range of possibilities. If we're talking yeah. realistically here, that's, I think, mm -hmm. those are, those are the, among the ranges of reasons, yeah. Yeah, and do you find then, that was great, thank you so much, so much in there, um, and do you find, Steve, that with many couples that they are just avoidant of having those conversations 
through perhaps fear of, you know, rejection, um, discomfort, um, what's going to come up, what's going to be said that, that may trigger them. So rather than even sit down and connect and have and communicate, I see that a lot with people, a lot of breakdowns of any kind of relationship, whether that's friendships and or intimate relationships, it's the communication piece that people will do anything. You know, some people will do anything to avoid having that conversation because it triggers such a, a almost a, there can be trauma response or a fear response of I'm in trouble, that feeling of I'm in trouble or I'm going to be attacked here. So they will do anything to avoid it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yes. And and sometimes with good reason, that's yeah. feared. <laughs> yeah. And that, so, that's a great point with good reason, because I guess this is the thing. And I, I and you, you will have had this probably in spades, but. I know that if I've worked with individuals, there's their, their assumption as well is that their partner won't want to do this work with me. I'm on my own. I, you know, or I'm here. I'm over here and my partner's over here or we've grown apart and we're on different journeys. But actually, do you need two people? It's an obvious question, I suppose, but not always obvious, I suppose, <laughs> Two people to want to do this work together for for the for it to work, I suppose. Well, this work is not maybe how I frame it. I know what you mean. You're talking about the work of reconnecting as a couple, mm. right? Yeah. So in mm. that, in I think that's yeah. You're not yes, so, yes. Okay, that I understand. But sometimes this work can be used, and you're not using it that way. So, but nonetheless, I hear it used this way sometimes. Um, to be well, this work is learning this way of living, acquiring this teaching from the outside. Like you're talking about, sort of sometimes rather reductionist, um, polarity based coaching can be sort of, you know, you need to become basically someone else, <laughs> learn these behaviors or, so on, or connect to your inner this, that, and the other. But your inner this, that, and the other is a series of behaviors and traits that are, you know, find these in yourself. You know, it's not, mm. it's not real inquiry. It's imposition. It's a layering of imposition. Yeah. So sometimes that's, people are afraid of that. Well, if we start to get involved with this, we're going to have to, you know, do all these strange behaviors and we won't be able to be ourselves. And it's so tiring to have mm -hmm. to maintain this sort of um, religion of relationship with its prescribed roles and behaviors. And also, um, you must do these things and you're never allowed to do these things. You're never allowed to do this. You always must do this. Very restrictive. So I think people are sometimes a little afraid of that. But yes, um, people, I believe, yes, uh, often afraid. That's I have a tremendous amount of respect for anybody, individual or couple, who is open to investigating these sorts of dynamics. And it, mm -hmm. I think it does need respect. So when your couple comes into a situation, the, it, I, I think the, the, there should be a great deal of respect there. Initially, uh, that should be the real ground. But I mean, from the practitioner or counsellor or whatever it is to that couple, it doesn't have to be expressed endlessly by any stretch. But Think about it. Amazing. They've come in. It is a vulnerable yes. position. Suddenly you're letting someone else 
who knows who they are into your into your duo opening up perhaps difficult layers of communication who knows what they're going to do and say and so yeah naturally a lot of trust needs to be built there and that's i think should be built in respect can it be done with two um yeah i think uh, can it be done with one rather does it need to no not necessarily not necessarily um the, the question is what works for the couple what works for the couple if one person is very interested uh in theories and practices and ideas about relations they're really interested in it as well as it being something they want for their they're just interested in it that's okay if they are more interested in it but uh, what works for the couple can they take then their interest and passion for these sorts of ideas and theories can they take that into the relationship without making the relationship some sort of workshop very often this can happen people can commodify their partners on their own self-improvement project <laughs> no, we got together because we liked each other and we had a nice time. But now I'm into this self-improvement of some sort or relational improvement or spiritual uh, awakenings or etc. And, you know, I read here, it's got to be the relationship as well as the, is the real crucible for such development. So I'm going to take our relationship. I'm going to make it a, a crucible of development, of relationship. We're never going to rest. It's always going to be about growth. That was my you. partner with me, by the way. He was like, oh God, what now? You know, yeah, I'm recruiting you. <laughs> You're going to be my route to apotheosis. <laughs> That's sort of so it's a dynamic of mutual rejection. That's very interesting indeed. But uh anyway, so I'm just going on and on here. Yeah, I think it doesn't need to be both. Um uh, what any individual can bring into their relationship should serve the relationship. And rather than the other way around, not the relationship serving the ideology or the work or the knowledge base, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do put ourselves under a bit of pressure, you know, thinking that we have to do. And again, it's so funny. I say I've said this before. When I was in corporate, Steve, there was a lot of um, oh, it was quite toxic, and I saw a lot of people trying to be like who they thought they should be and I, I always said when I got out of that I'm never going to do that I, I, that's just not the place I want to be I, I, I need to just really come back to me and who I who I really am but I see so much of that even in the world that I'm in right now of labels and who you're supposed to be and like now you've got to be more like this or you've got to be more godlike now you've got to be and it's like whoa what's going on I've just went from one place in corporate that was like that but in a different way but I see a lot of it even in the personal development world uh, even especially, even, <laughs> especially. Even in the, and I get I'm like fucking hell like wow what what the hell you know, it's this label, it's that label. Now you've got to be more like this. And then it starts, it's this trend thing. And I'm like, oh, I, I come off social. I, I, I'm i on social media, but I go through seasons, Steve, where I'll be on it. And then I'm like, now nah, I had enough of that now. And I'll just go off the radar for like a month or so. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. And, you know, I, I come back and I'm really honest with it. I said, you know, I'm not an I'm not an algorithm, by the way. And I don't, <laughs> I don't want people to say, oh, I want to be, and I see a lot of it. I want to be more like her. I want to be more like him. And if I'm more like that, then that's how I'm supposed to be. Like, I for, for some people, I mean, I like a morning routine. For me, I like, it serves me in the morning getting up. I've got children. That's my time to connect. Yeah. 
um, there's it's silent and there's nothing around and it's my space but that's my choice but I don't want anyone thinking well to be like her I need to get up at 5am you don't need to do that it's about what works for you and there is trends and I yeah I can see what we're saying and even with you know when we talked about the masculine and the feminine and this the, the, there's the trends yeah for sure and when we were talking about um intimacy relationship again it's this pressure so you you've got people that will just not go there and explore it at all for various different reasons and then there's ones that will just push 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 it like you said <laughs> recruit their partner I laughed right now I'm half joking right but my partner <laughs> used to be like I'd come out of a somatic session and I would honestly be like, oh, I should lie down for a bit. <laughs> and he said to me, you look like you've had like an exorcism. <laughs> and he said to me, where do you sign up for that? As if like, what? Why would I even want to do that? And it's realising that that's not his thing. It's not his thing. And I think for me, when I started to really do, um, discover more about me, and myself and and being on that journey of self real self um discovery and healing uh, on a personal level i thought oh me and him we're just not compatible anymore you know he's not there and i'm not there and but you know there was other things in the mix too right it wasn't just that but uh, i realized i didn't there was nothing to change like i unconditionally love him whether even whether we're together or not, that there was this fear of, you know, we've got children now, we need to like really make this work and I need to, you know. And I I guess where I'm going with this is I see a lot of people just staying together as well because it's comfortable in a very commas. I did the thing there, you know, you do with your fingers. <laughs> it's comfortable or it's safe or it's secure or we've got children, we've got responsibility. But um I've really realised as well, particularly the last 12 months, Steve, that you can uncouple and you can separate and still unconditionally love someone. But you don't you shouldn't need to try and change someone. They're not yours to change. Does that make sense? I'm kind of on one now. (laughs) Yeah, it does make sense what you're saying. You've said a lot of very interesting things. And. Yeah, you said a lot of very interesting things. You know, a lot of these trends, they have wisdom in them. Mm. There's something there that's really smart. There's something there that's really good. But then when it becomes a trend, of course, then many people take it up who are not really maybe understanding what's at the heart of it, the really good wisdom at the heart of it, let's say. And then it becomes begins to become almost a parody of itself over time. And then the trend eventually sort of becomes passe and dies down. And then something else, often a reaction to that, previous trend comes up, which has also got something right, you know, some kind of thing, and it follows a similar pattern. And so when, a, when one finds oneself passionate about a new field of knowledge or a new area or a new dynamic or a new idea, um, it's inevitable. The trick is uh, to nibble at the bait without getting caught on the hook. Everything has that dynamic. Uh, my, one of my, my own meditation teachers, Shinzen Young, he says that nibble on the bait, but don't get caught on the hook. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I and, love that one. 
And so a lot of these trends and ideas and so on, and these uh, even, um, uh, you know, teachers, speakers, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's good stuff there. That's the bait. And, but there's also a hook. There's always a hook. In fact, there's always a hook in everybody and everything. There's always a little hook. So the trick is how to get the good from it without falling for it hook, line and sinker and, mm. you know, being, you know, caught. Yeah. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, <laughs> enthusiastic people, I'm, I'm enthusiastic too. I just get so into things and I get so passionate about them. So, you know, I have to remember that myself. But at the end of the day, it's your relationship. It's your relationship. Nobody else's. It's not the relationship of that relationship teacher or speaker or author or that particular ideology or system or way of being or way of thinking. It's your relationship and it's yours to discover as much as it is to create. You're right, though. Sometimes relationships, they end. They break down for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes people are just very incompatible. Sometimes one or both people in the relationship are very nasty to each other. Some relationships should end. So it's not about keeping together at all costs. But as you correctly point out, many relationships are basically fine. They're basically fine. Basically, you're getting on. You basically like each other, even love each other. Maybe there's not a spark, right? Maybe there's communication difficulties, etc. But many relationships can be rejuvenated or revived, especially if the basic materials, two good people, just not, it's just not working. Uh, Often that can be that can be salvaged, but that does require a willingness to try from from both sides. It's not if it's a round peg in a square hole, as some relationships are. Well, maybe it's better not to you know be together. But a lot of times, it's just a failure a failure of communication, a failure yeah. of understanding of uh, good habits, bad habits, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and learning a few skills, and much can be rediscovered. Relationships do that. Even successful relationships, they go with their ups and their downs, the hard times where there are doubts, and then the peak times and so on. Uh, yeah, to stay the course in such a situation is, once again, I think very admirable. Not in a relationship that should break up. I'm not advocating for that. But in a salvageable relationship that's basically fine. Uh, yeah, if both partners are willing to, to give it a go. I've seen amazing reconnections occurring in such situations. Yeah. And so looking at your partner in a situation like that, with that lens of um, what is latent, dormant, could is this there actually, it's in the raw materials, rather than always focusing on what we haven't got and the loss and what's not there. I think mm. that's the trick. And that seems to be what you've done. You, that's what you were describing. You said, well, I just learned all these new things and I saw so many th areas we could improve and he wasn't interested and I thought maybe we're going different paths. But then I reconnected to my love for him and I realized our relationship fundamentals were basically fine yeah. and I didn't need to jump ship so quick. And you know what? Uh, yeah. And, and, and picking up what you said, I actually worked. I, I realized it was so much of it was my stuff, Steve. You know, yeah. there was stuff. Yeah, there was there was sterile stuff too, right? <laughs> but for the record, yeah, FYI, <laughs> there was there was, and yeah, certain things he did triggered some stuff in me. And you know, if he would shout, just not because he was a great, it's just as he was more like of a shout, and I'm not a shouter, it would instantly my body my nervous system would be triggered and I would be like oh oh even if it just raised voices and then when I went and really understood where that came from always back to your child it 
it was like, whoa, where did I not feel safe when someone shouted? So of course, when I don't feel safe, I don't want to be intimate I, because, and, and, and I, that's me, you know, some people are, are okay with that. For me, that's what I realized was my thing. It was one of, one of those things. And when I went in and, and, and really worked on that myself and, oh, just really understood and connected and healed, I guess, um, it was such a game changer for me that I don't have that same trauma response almost then when someone shouts or I feel like there's a threat, you know, my body felt like there was a threat. So of course I was like, um, I love it. And, and when you said that about relationships, and I think that's, that's the thing. So for people listening that are maybe in their relationship and they've been in the relationship a long time, but they lack, um, the intimacy isn't there. And if you want, I guess what we're saying is if you want to get that back, there is definitely ways to get that back. So there's hope, right? Rather than numbing out or, you know, infidelity or separation, there is things that people can do to bring that back should they want to do it. There are, it's worth a try. Mm. If it's worth a try, it's worth a try. No guarantee. No. And life is complicated. And as you point out, there are other factors at play than just the dynamic between the two of you, such as the history of the partners and so on and so forth, and many other environmental factors, things happening in their lives and so on. It's not as simple as, um, you know, you can do it if you if you really, really want to. It's like, no, sometimes you really, really want to and you try well and you get the right help and everything yeah. and it still doesn't work. So it's worth a try. Yeah. If it's worth a try. <laughs> if it's worth a try, do it. <laughs> if you want to. If you want to. Yeah, and if not, really not do it for sure. Yeah, and, and not being afraid to separate. I think there is a lot of fear around, you know, separation, um, which keeps people together. And I know this um mm. to be true because so many people have shared that with me. There's a real fear of separation, a fear of hurt, um, hurting people that they love, um, you know, people around them, what it means for them moving forward. But that's not a reason in my for me to stay together. I get it. I get the the fear. Um, but oh, for me, I would fear being another ten years down the line and still feeling like I wasn't truly being my most being me and, and true to myself because I was scared of maybe reactions. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. Amazing, amazing. Um, Steve, where can people get a hold of you? Because you mentioned your podcast. Um, also, like, can you share your details? Because I know that there's a lot of people that are going to want to connect. Sure. Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Jill. Yeah, we. I think we could go on and on, on and on and I on. Yeah. I just get you back on. <laughs> <laughs> You should also get Michaela, like I said before. She's fabulous yes. on these things, on these subjects. Um, well, my website is guruviking.com, G-U-R-U-V-I-K-I-N-G, uh, guruviking.com. It's the name of my podcast and the name of the website. Uh, mm. And for this sort of thing, more relationship things like we're discussing here, the better site is michaelabohm.com. Um, Michaela and I are partnered in that. 
and so you'll see both of us on there. Michaela Bohm, Michael with an A, and then Bohm is B-O-E-H-M.com. Mm, amazing. Oh, Steve, thank you so much. Just beautiful. And, you know, hopefully we can get you back on again. Um, it's just been a pleasure. Super grateful um, that you said yes to coming on. Thank you, Jill. It's my pleasure. 